welcome to the Sports on Point podcast for September 6th, 2010. I'm your host, Matthew Smith. And I'm John Zavarelli. And today we are winging it in the studio without Bob Severns. The guy is not pushing the buttons this week, so hopefully it doesn't sound too shoddy because we're editing ourselves. Let's move on to the week in sports. These are the top headlines for the week, the things you guys are sharing the most on Facebook, Twitter, etc. Starting with Monday, Manny Ramirez to report to the Chicago White Sox on Tuesday. John? Well, Manny, this is his fourth team now. Uh, he's getting to the end of his career, and hopefully he can give Chicago a, a kickstart like he did the L.A. Dodgers. I think that's what they're uh, taking his salary for, but... I don't really think it's going to happen this time. I think he's a little too old. To, he may be able to give them a few games, but I think they're too far gone, and it's not going to really happen this year for the White Sox. Yeah, I think the division is pretty much Minnesota's to lose at this point. But I just want to know, what's the deal with Manny Ramirez all of a sudden needs an interpreter? What's the story there? That was pretty hilarious. That's, that's another classic case of Manny, Manny being Manny. On to Tuesday, Troy Palomalu long locks are now insured for $1 million. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I don't know who it is who instituted this whole uh, celebrities get to insure their body parts, etc. All of it's ridiculous, but when you start insuring hair, which, you know, a bad haircut could result in a million dollar payout, it's ridiculous. I mean, did you see the commercials? He's got hair commercials. Yeah. I I mean, that's... His hair is, is famous now. All I want to know is, how does a football player... That's got the reputation as a player that Troy Polamalu does. How does that guy end up doing a commercial that can emasculate himself so much as those Head and Shoulders commercials did? It's like Joe Namath wearing pantyhose. It's the same thing all over all over again. He's also like, like from Samoan descent, and a lot of those guys don't have the real manly voices, so it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of weird. Okay, the Big Ten Conference. They've announced the divisions, and they're splitting Ohio State and Michigan into two separate divisions. What do you think, John? I don't think this is a good idea. I think when, when Michigan makes it back up to prominence, basically these teams are going to be playing two weeks in a row. They're going to be playing at the end of the year like they usually do, and then they're going to play again for the conference championship. It kind of takes away from the end-of-the-year showdown. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's not as bad as it was when they were contemplating the possibility of moving this game to the middle of October. That would have been ridiculous. But I think as long as they've got that matchup guaranteed every year, I'm okay with the occasional chance of playing them twice, but... The way it's standing, actually, I think the divisions are pretty well mapped out that uh, neither Ohio State nor Michigan are going to have an easy path to that uh, championship game on any given year. On the Thursday, you can see it on YouTube, but you can see Shaq gave Justin Bieber a beatdown via freestyle dance on ABC. Okay, I watched the video. I can't really say for sure that it was a decisive victory. It was somewhat entertaining to watch, Shaq being Shaq, Justin Bieber being... Well, Justin Bieber, I don't really want to talk about this anymore. I uh, personally want Shaq to retire so he can go on to the NBA on TNT and see him team up with Charles Barkley. I think that would be a lot funnier than this little show he does every week. Uh, Shaq and Barkley would be great. That'd be quality entertaining television. Okay, Friday, Pittsburgh Steelers' Ben Roethlisberger's suspension has been cut to four games. What do you think, John? Part of me thinks they should have left it at six games. The other part of me says it's okay to put it down to four Technically, he didn't get convicted of a crime, so technically he didn't do anything wrong. 
but everyone knows he did. And I, this whole, I'm a good guy, three months of that, I mean, that can't really, I don't think that really changes the person. So I think it's all right. I don't think the Steelers, as much as I hate them as an organization, I think they're a well-run organization. I don't think the Roonies need to be punished for Ben Roethlisberger as an organization. Yeah, and I think that's what it came down to a lot. I think the NFL didn't want to punch it, punish the Roonies. My feeling on this is four-game four suspension, I'm okay with that. He didn't get convicted, but the whole thing, it's like you said, anybody can fool anybody for three months. I don't really know that we know any different about Roethlisberger's behavior now than what we did three months ago. For all we know, he could just be putting on a good show for a couple of months. And When he when he goes into the negotiating room and says he wants the suspension cut down to three, if I'm Roger Goodell, I say, no, you're definitely getting six now. Don't pull me. Don't test me, boy. Don't test me, boy. Okay, so the Arizona Cardinals cutting ties with quarterback Matt Leinart, according to ESPN. What do you think, John? I think it's a good choice. I don't like Leinart. I, I think he's an idiot. <laughs> I've hated him since USC, since he made the comment that USC was still the better team when Texas beat him straight up. Just beat they beat him. I think he he's kind of got that USC cocky, arrogant attitude that thinks he's entitled. And to be honest, he was outplayed. He never should have been the starter. He had, he's got players that are outplaying him, and he shouldn't have that entitlement. Yeah, he's got the he's got the surfer kid mentality in a in a blue collar sport. I don't really think that gets you very far. He's earned himself a reputation as captain checkdown. If if you're completing passes and you're not getting first downs, I believe there was a stat from a preseason game earlier this year where he completed 12 out of 16 passes, which initially sounds good, but 12 out of 16 passes, zero first downs. You're not completing passes for yards. There's no point in completing them. Ding and dunk. On to Sunday. According to sources, San Diego Chargers are at an impasse on Vincent Jackson's trade. Yeah, apparently he's asking for a lot of money, and that's scaring teams away. But ultimately, I think uh, I think he's going to get moved. I think San Diego's moved on without him. They acquired Patrick Creighton this past week. I think they're ready to sever ties, and uh, we'll just see who's willing to pony up the cash. Yeah, that Patrick Creighton trade was a, is going to be a good trade for them. Uh, San Diego's a, a hard team to see how they're going to do. They seem to have these contract disputes and wanting players wanting out quite frequently over the past few years, but they always seem to come out smelling like roses. Maybe it's because they play in the AFC West. Well, that helps a lot for sure. Okay, so that wraps up the week in sports. We're going to now move on to the to the point section. This is going to be a free-flowing conversation between John and myself about some of the relevant sport topics from this week. So we just wrapped up last week with our divisional predictions for the NFL. We're now down to our playoff teams. And I want to get a feel for you, John, what you think is going to happen with the AFC and NFC Championship games. Who you got going to the Super Bowl? Well, for the AFC, I'm going to go back to the, the age-old rivalry of the Patriots versus the Colts. Interesting. It hasn't hasn't happened for a few years now. And players are starting to get old. Teams are starting to get old. And the window's closing on the rivalry, but I think we're going to see one last time where we see Brady versus Peyton Manning in the AFC Championship. Actually, I actually like that pick a lot. I, obviously, I went a different direction with mine, but I like that pick because I think these are two teams that are getting overlooked a lot coming into the season, and I think they're teams that have the veteran leadership that they can totally feed off of that. So what do you say for your NFC? NFC, I think Dallas, with that win last year, the, the playoff win that they needed and they needed, First one in like 13, 13 years. Broke the seal. Broke the seal. I think they get to the NFC Championship game, and I think they play the Packers. 
That's a, a spit in the face to Brett Favre, but I think the Packers are going to the Super Bowl with, with Aaron Rodgers. All right, so I've actually got AFC Championship game. Who'd you say? Who'd you say is going to the Super Bowl in the AFC? I think the Patriots are going to take it to the Super Bowl. Patriots are going to edge out the Colts again. Yep. All right. Um, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't possibly have more different picks for the AFC. I actually have a Baltimore San Diego AFC Championship game with the Ravens coming out on top. I just am really impressed with the moves they've made to make their offense better in the preseason. They've come out firing. If they continue to do that and be successful, combined with the defense that they're you know trademark for, I, I see them being a real tough team to beat. San Diego, I think, is finally at the point where they're ready to get to the AFC Championship game again, but I just don't think they have enough weapons to, to bag up Baltimore in that case. I think uh, Baltimore's Super Bowl bound. I've been a fan of Baltimore's defense for many years now, but I think that's why the Ravens don't go to the Super Bowl. You think their defense is too weak? I don't think it's weak. I think it's old, and I think they're going to get banged up over the season because Ray Lewis is getting old. Ed Reed's already out. I mean, you got you got older players. I mean, they're plugging in players too, but yeah. I think they're they're going to get banged up later in the season. With the exception of the New England Patriots, though, I don't know that there's an organization who does a better job of just reloading year after year. And even the Patriots, I guess, as an example, they've kind of fallen off a little bit on the defensive side. They're not able to plug in quite the talent that they've been able to, but they've always been able to do it on the offensive side, and they've been able to get the defense up to par to, to, to you know, give them enough of a strong defense to win those games and win the championships and Super Bowls. I think I feel the same way about Baltimore and their defense. Their offense has been the problem there, and now they finally got that clicking. So I just like I have all the all the faith in the world that the organization has put the players in place that need they need to. You know, continue to bring that defense to the dominant level we expect in Baltimore. NFC, I think uh, I'm thinking Green Bay as well, but I got them going up against New Orleans. I I, I actually kind of think New Orleans is going to knock Minnesota out again, back to back years, and then New Orleans, Green Bay, and I actually have Green Bay going to the Super Bowl as well. Ultimately, I think that the Green Bay offense is going to be. I think mark this down, I think that they're going to have the best offense in the league this year. I think their offense is going to be better than New Orleans, and I think their defense is going to be better than New Orleans. So, I have them going to the Super Bowl, but I really think the balance that Baltimore is going to have this year between the offense and the defense is just going to be a little bit more than what Green Bay offers, and uh, I think uh, I think the second Super Bowl is coming to Baltimore Ravens. Okay, so let's talk about individual performances. Who do you have one in the MVP this year? I'm going to go with the Packers, Aaron Rodgers. It's apparently a popular pick because that's exactly what I have. Aaron Rodgers, if the offense is as good as a lot of people, myself included, expect it to be, it's all going to run through the catalyst, which is Aaron Rodgers, and I think that's enough for him to ride to an MVP award. Uh, what about on the defensive side of the ball? Defensively, I'm going to go out on limb. He's getting a little bit older. He's playing for a new team this year. I think uh, Julius Peppers is going to win the defensive player of the year. He's going to have a, a big year in, in uh, Chicago. Peppers, interesting. I can certainly go along with that. I actually think I think I'm, I'm picking Jared Allen. I think that uh, he's wreaked enough ha- havoc in the backfield for the past several years, and I, I think the offense is going to be down for Minnesota, and their success is going to come from the defensive side. And he's going to get the respect of a leader on a defensive unit that leads them into the playoffs. I think that you're going to look at the Minnesota Vikings this year and look at it more as Jared Allen's team than Brett Favre's because I just don't think the offense is going to be up to par from what it was the past couple of years. Or I shouldn't say past couple of years. It was up to par from what it was last year. So a lot of rookies that are expected to get big playing time this year, specifically at running back. 
Uh, I'm kind of amazed at the amount of rookie running backs that are slated to maybe not start but get significant carries this season. I have one of those in Ryan Matthews. I think he's going to be the rookie of the year. I think that he's a good solid back who can catch passes out of the backfield, has a quick cut, can hit the holes, good decision maker. And I think that the offense that San Diego runs, kind of like in the mold of what the Colts used to do, that really allowed Edron James to just run all over the place because it was such a pass-first offense that the running back had holes that he could just burst through on any given on any given play. I think we're going to see a lot of the same with Ryan Matthews this season, and that's why I have him getting the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I got C.J. Spiller, Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think he's electrifying. If they let him return kicks... I mean, I think he's going to rack up yards there. He can, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can, he's quick. He's fast. Bills don't have much. So, I mean, he's going to be one of their top options there. So. Yeah, we talked we talked about C.J. Spiller a little bit before, and I, I think that he definitely has a lot of potential to be an electrifying player. You mentioned that the Bills don't have much. My concern with him is that everything they do have is running back with uh, you know Fred Jackson, Marshawn Lynch, Spiller, I, I think there's going to be some, some carries to be shared there, but I can definitely see him winning the award if he does get a significant bulk of the carries. I'm just not sure that uh, any one guy on that lineup is going to get enough carries to really make a name for himself this season. What about on the defensive side? Who do you got uh, Rookie of the Year? Ever since he came out, I thought Eric Berry was going to be, he's going to be a, a tough player. I, I'm, I think safety, I'm a, I'm, a safe, I'm a fan of safety, so mm. I think Eric Berry's going to He's going to shine in Kansas City. They got a good defensive coordinator, not a good, very good coach, but a good defensive coordinator. And he was the defensive coordinator of the of the Patriots for so many years, and they had one of the best safeties in the league in Rodney Harrison. I think he's going to bloom into a, a great safety, and I think it starts with his rookie season. Yeah, he was actually one of the three guys I was considering. One of the things, I don't know if you watched the draft and you saw – Eric Berry when he got picked. It's just something about the the excitement and the you know like electric personality that that guy has. I just really wish all the best for him. I went a different route. I think that uh, Rolando McClain, who's uh, playing in Oakland, of course, out of Alabama, is a rookie this year. Uh, I think he's going to turn some heads. I think he's got a lot of talent. He was playing in a very NFL-like system at Alabama under Coach Nick Saban. And he was playing against top-notch talent and a lot of speed and making himself look good doing it. So I think he's got a good shot to transition into the uh, NFL quite well. I think that if Oakland's going to win games, they need their defense to perform. And I think Rolando McClain is a uh, is a uh, key cog in that happening. be an interesting, interesting year. I think you're going to see a lot of top defensive players start coming out of Alabama now as long as Saban stays there. Well, I mean, that's an easy pitch to make when you're, when you're recruiting and you're Nick Saban. That's 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 an easy pitch to make. Like, look, I run an NFL system. You want to go pro? Come to my school. It's pretty. It's pretty straightforward. You'd be amazed at um, how many teams don't run NFL systems. And actually, I think that's one thing that's going to hurt the University of Michigan this year moving forward is because they're switching to this three-three-five defensive scheme, which in no way, shape, or form prepares you for playing the NFL unless you're a secondary player, unless you're a cornerback and you're playing one-on-one coverage. I think that's the only way that it prepares you for it. But, uh, yeah, Saban's system for sure has, has turned out some good players in the past, and I think it will continue to do so. Like I said, it's a great pitch for anybody who's got NFL aspirations uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So since we're on the subject of college football, 
Week one, for the most part, is behind us at this point. I have to admit, coming into this week, I didn't really think there were that many good games. I wasn't really all that excited. I was excited because football was back, don't get me wrong, but I just didn't really think a lot of these matchups had a, had a whole lot of interest in them. But we got, some, we got some interesting stories, I think, from the weekend. The one game, of course, that I had definitely my eye on hasn't happened yet. It's tomorrow night at 8, and that, of course, is the Boise State-Virginia Tech matchup. That's the uh, Boise State's must-win of the season right there. Cause that's it's a one-game season for them. I mean, essentially, they've got that and then a whole bunch of nobodies for the rest of the year. Honestly, if I was Boise State at this point, I would be dubbing this as the biggest game in the history of your college as far as a, a team in college football because you lose this game, you're never going to be in the position that you actually have a realistic shot to by winning out and getting into that championship game. And if you lose that, you ain't never get back up there. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really honest here. I, I this game I don't think in any way, shape, or form will prove to me that Boise State is the number three team in the country. Because when you're talking about Virginia Tech, you're talking about a team that got their rear ends handed to them last year by Alabama. I think they lost to LSU two years ago by forty two points. Those are top five teams. And they have destroyed Virginia Tech in just the last couple of years. Either Virginia Tech has gotten a lot better, and this game is a close game, or it's a close game because Boise State is not of that caliber. I think if we see a game where Boise State even wins, if they win by 7, if they win by 14, maybe. But to me, they've got to blow this team out to prove themselves as being a top 3 team. Maybe I'm unfair, maybe I'm biased, but I just look at what other teams have done. and, and I just At this point, I mean, you've got... I, I don't see you can be enabled. I mean, I do understand that they got trounced a lot two years running, but that was two two previous years. But you have to win the game. Obviously, if you don't win the game, you ain't never getting another shot at the national. Absolutely, title. yeah. Ne- you, I doubt you'll for many years to come. You'll unless Boise State wins the national championship, you'll never see a team that's not in the power conferences this high in the rankings ever again. I think uh, I, I disagree somewhat just because uh, if you if you didn't catch it, TCU had a pretty big win over Oregon State this past week. I think they're in kind of a similar situation to Boise. They're uh, coming in as number six in the country. They've got a shot to move up. I, I still I, I still just I don't I don't especially feel that teams who don't play a strong conference schedule deserve a shot at the national championship. And I know you disagree with me on that. If you go undefeated, you go in there. But to me to me an undefeated season means, it, yeah, it's an awesome thing, especially if you play a tough schedule. But if, if an undefeated season means you're going to the national championship game, then who's ever going to su- schedule a tough out-of-conference game? If you're Notre Dame and you're an independent, you play scrubs all year and get a net guaranteed national championship every year. I just I just don't think that's the way that college football should work, and I don't, I don't care for it. I don't think that Boise State, and I don't think that TCU are national championship caliber teams. They go undefeated, put them in BCS bowl games. Absolutely, put them in the BCS. But the national championship game, to me, is is reserved for teams who played against the top dogs and won, and that's not them. And all this all this disagreement about the way we feel all leads back to a common purpose. It all funnels back funnels back to a playoff. Yeah, we, absolutely. There needs to be a playoff. Well, I'll say this every week that we talk any college who should be up there needs a playoff. Okay, so some of the big games this week: Jacksonville State. How, if you are Houston Nut, how do you lose to Jacksonville State in this manner? They were up like what, thirty-one to seven, I believe. I think it was thirty-one thirteen going into the fourth, I believe. 
Uh, yeah, I think it was 31-13 in the fourth, and I think it was 31-10. Not 31-7, it was 31-10 to before that. You're up by 21 against Jacksonville State. You should be able to coast to the finish from there. Apparently, they felt that way, too. Yeah, they dropped the ball. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you should have. You, you got to pick a quarterback. You can't be two-stepping. I think that throws off. I don't ever think that two-quarterback things work. Either start Masoli or bench him. Well, here's here's the thing: is I guarantee the head quarterback or the the number one quarterback for Jacksonville State took every snap during the preseason as the number one quarterback on the number one squad thrown to the number one receivers. I think that's a problem that you run into. And it's, this is college, this is high school, this is the NFL. If you've got a quarterback controversy and you've got two players and neither one of them is really sure who's going to start, you've got a problem. Even if they're two of the best quarterbacks in the country, if you don't give one consistent touches, they're not going to be the quarterback that they should be because they didn't get to play and get used to their offense. Honestly, I'm not really surprised about this, though, because – Ole Miss is they're a, a perennial joke, a perennial disappointment. <laughs> yeah, much. I mean, last year they were hyped to to go go nuts. They were ranked as high as what wasn't it? It was fourth. Wasn't fourth, it? I believe they, they had fourth. Jevin Sneed, who was a who was a preseason Heisman candidate. It was also a transfer from Texas because he wasn't good enough to play at Texas, and he didn't do. I mean, he had a good year his junior year, but yeah, didn't do anything. Didn't last do much, year. and and he he got. Uh, one undrafted, I believe, signed a signed a uh, undrafted rookie deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and got cut. And you know, if you're a quarterback who's getting cut by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I mean, you got problems. Their starters, the the Kansas State quarterback from a couple years back. Yeah, a quarterback who at the time was a why did they take him in the first round? Name Steve Spurrier picked him over Tim Tebow for SEC quarterback player of the year. Yes, that's that's right. Even though Spurrier said that he really didn't, but it was one of his staff. That one of his did staff. It. LSU UNC was an absolute thriller. That was. Uh, did you catch any of that? I turned it off. It was thirty to ten. I turned it off and fell asleep, and I woke up, and then I was like, uh, "Wow." Well, you're playing against a team that's got twelve other players. The original report was thirteen, but one of the players was was granted leniency or something. I don't know exactly what the ruling was there, but the NCAA governing body determined that one of the guys could play for whatever reason. So they were without twelve players, six of which were starters on defense. It turns out the one guy that did come back had a key interception late in the game to uh, you know help spark the comeback. But that's that's beside the point. To me, Les Miles is the worst coach to be as highly regarded. As he is, he has been. Larry Coker. Okay, Larry Synonymous. Coker. Good, good point. Larry Coker. But Les Miles has coached himself out of winning games so many times. And and there's things he does that you look at and you're like, wow, that's pretty good. There's 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 sets and packages that he throws out there that that just they're they're intelligently put together and they're that you know they perform. But the way that he has managed end of game situations, the way that he has managed. I mean, a game like this, a UNC game where you've got the game in hand against a team that is severely, severely undermanned. How about Butch Davis, though, being uh, probably the, one of the best recruiters in football? I mean, Absolutely. He, he's got – he can do some recruiting. North Carolina – the last time I remember North Carolina being on the map was the two year, a couple years they had Drake Lye, and that was back in, like the, I think, the late 90s. Like, was, it, was Peppers on those teams, too? Peppers might have been might might have been on those teams. He was on those teams as well. But yeah, they haven't been good for a while. And Davis is doing a good job. Yeah, uh, although he's got his nannies writing papers for his players, that's a yeah, that's, that's a problem. Good. But that I knew he's doing that at Miami too. So yeah, well, 
But speaking of Rich Rod in, in Michigan, they yeah they they gave out a whooping to Connecticut, didn't they? Yeah, they did. That was, Denard that was Robinson. Denard Robinson is a beast. 186 yards and a touchdown passing. 197 yards and a touchdown rushing. That's almost 400 yards. It's Vince Young combined. That's 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 impressive. No matter how you slice it up, Tate Forcier I think is nothing but a blip in the rearview mirror at this point. He said in a post game interview that he's out. It would be somewhat humorous to me if Tate Forcier were to go somewhere else and make a big name for himself, much like Ryan Mallett has done at Arkansas. No, there's no, there's no denying Denard Robinson was was tearing it up. I think you're going to see him on the top five Heisman performer list uh, after this weekend for a lot of people around the country. DeMarco Murray for Oklahoma was running up and down the field, 218 and two touchdowns. Although Oklahoma looked less than impressive, almost while well, really getting a scare against Utah State. Yeah, they just barely squeaked by, 31-24. That was not very impressive. Another one of the replacement quarterback teams that uh, that underperformed this week, uh, of course, they replaced Sam Bradford. And there was there were similar situations where Texas didn't really look as sharp as we've seen in the past after replacing Colt McCoy. Florida looked terrible. I mean, they won their game and they won it convincingly, but that was more the opponent than the performance. Yeah, a team that won one game last year. Right. So, I don't, I mean, all of a sudden these lofty rankings that all these teams who were placing a lot of people and you know, you, you, you hear things like, you know, this Brantley kid's coming in for Florida and he was one of the top five quarterbacks in the nation coming out of high school, but that doesn't guarantee anything. And he hasn't done anything in the pros. So, it's kind of hard to look at those, those preseason rankings and see Florida as number, you know, two or three or four in the country, depending on which poll you looked at, and, and taking it seriously because... They haven't done anything yet. Texas game, it was they really they started to pull away towards the end of the, the end of the first half, and then they gave up a touchdown right at the end of the first half. It, they didn't look good in the first half. The second half, they started to get a little bit of a rhythm going on. But I I think I think they'll be all right. But Florida, out of all the teams other than the teams that pretty much laid an egg, I would say Florida laid an egg too. If they were playing anybody with, that was any good whatsoever, that's. Urban Meyer had better offensive performances, like way better offensive performances than that, in places like Bowling Green and Utah. I don't know how you can pull that kind of a stinker in Florida. I mean, the talent you've got on that field, you've got to put a better offensive scheme together. You've got to get more production from those guys. Uh, all in all, of the you know the teams that were replacing their quarterbacks this year, I think Notre Dame came out looking like the winner because this kid comes in and, and it was the same thing all over again. He didn't... Didn't look, uh, didn't look like he was lagging behind what Clawson was doing last year at all. I yeah. thought uh, Notre Dame looked pretty good this week. Yeah, Brian Kelly, I think, is going to do a good job there. I think he he did a good job at Cincinnati. So I think I think they got something there. Although every Notre Dame has coach in their first year it has the luck of the Irish. So they seem to the luck seems to wear out though as mm-hmm. years go on. Jimbo Kelly, of course, had a pretty good, uh, pretty solid opening game against uh, Samford from Florida State. They looked impressive, took care of business like they should. Uh, Iowa impressed me too. They they only won thirty seven to seven, but that was impressive to me because they seemed to last year they were struggling. They win close games. This year they they started off good. They're looking yeah. a little scary. Kansas with uh, Turner Gill, new uh, new head coach that they got out Six of uh, Buffalo. Six to three. First of all. God, would, I, I'm so glad I didn't watch that football game. Six to three in August. I mean, I could understand a six to three December game with like 20 inches of snow, but I mean, this is a Big 12 team, and say what you will about the talent of the teams in the Big 12. Big 12 teams have offense. I, I, I think that most of them have very questionable defenses, 
but uh, with the exception of Oklahoma and Texas, there's no defense played. And even and even sometimes Oklahoma and Texas defenses. Nebraska's probably got the well now. Well now, yeah, but uh, I'm I'm kind of looking at them as on their way out. I guess that's not fair because they still got another year of Big Ten play or Big Twelve play before they join the Big Ten. But hey, they've been in the Big Twelve for twelve years, buddy. Everybody's been in for twelve years. <laughs> it's all the longer it's been around. Oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, Kansas losing to North Dakota State 6-3. That's pretty pretty terrible. Well, I'd have you, to say... Oh, go ahead. If you look at Kansas, though, before they had those two decent years, they really hadn't done anything in, like, 117 years of football. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. Their new head coach isn't rotund enough to, to keep up the performances from... And that coach was on his way out anyways because they started to... To go downhill, he had a couple. He had real good years, yeah. but yeah, yeah, there were some freakish years. Though. It was like a thirteen and one year. Or, yeah, yeah. Was Kansas was Kansas was weird for a couple years there. Kind of like Northwestern when when they were good for a couple years with uh, Darnell Autry. Uh, honestly, to me, the Oregon game was probably what I would consider the most impressive from what I saw this weekend. 72 to nothing over New Mexico, which, don't get me wrong, New Mexico is not a football powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination, but they're Division One school. They're Division One school, and you've got teams like Ole Miss who loses to Division One AA, I'm sorry, FCS championship team, uh, Jacksonville State. So when you see a team like Oregon running off a 72 to zip win over a team like New Mexico... That's impressive, especially with a backup running back scoring four total touch or five total touchdowns. Uh, Kenyon Barner had 147 yards rushing, four rushing touchdowns, and one receiving touchdown. Just nuts. Yeah, it was definitely really impressive there. I mean, I saw the score at halftime. I was like 59 nothing. I was like, wow, this, they're for real. They didn't they didn't they didn't drop off any from last year, and they they finished out strong. They I mean they lost a heartbreaker to, to Ohio State. Well, not really a heartbreaker, but they lost a a decent game to Ohio State when after that debacle against Boise State at the beginning of the season. They they really had a strong season. It looks like they're carrying that over this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I don't know if you saw the kid Daniel Thomas from Kansas State had two thirty four rushing and two touchdowns. Pretty impressive performance. I have to say Denard Robinson, DeMarco Murray, Daniel Thomas and of course Kenyon Barner from uh Oregon. Uh those were probably my top performers from the weekend. Barkley for USC against Hawaii had threw five touchdowns, which is a tie to USC record. No, you're right. That's that's a good that's a good observation. Barkley was impressive with his five touchdowns. Pretty good completion percentage as well. Uh, I was a little under impressed with uh, unimpressed, I should say, with the uh, USC defense though. Yeah, uh, they gave up a ton of yards and a fair amount of points to uh, Hawaii offense. It really hasn't been the same since June Jones left a couple years ago. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you go to. You go to Tennessee as your first college job, who's a defensive team. And you go to USC, who's built into a defensive team. And your defenses aren't that good. I mean, Tennessee's defense last year was pretty good. but I think a lot of that was Eric Berry, who we mentioned before. You also got Monty Kiffin running your defense. Yeah. (laughs) How how, how did he give up that many points to Hawaii with Monty Kiffin running your defense? That's an NFL-style well, and, and, you know, it's like just like we were saying with Nick Saban earlier. It's you know that's a, that's the sales pitch. You know, you want to play in an NFL offense, you go play for USC or you go play for Alabama because you run an NFL system. You got Monty frickin' Kiffin as your defensive coordinator. You should have defensive players. The top defensive players in the country should be pounding down your door to come play for your football team. And if you can't perform, 
that's not gonna that's not gonna last for long. Yeah. So this this week we got some uh, got some big games. We mentioned Boise State versus Virginia Tech. I think uh, I think that's gonna be a real close one. I honestly I honestly think we're talking about a three point spread. I think Boise State pulls it off, but I think it's pretty close. Um, I like Boise State. I like them by ten. Ten points. Enough to keep them at number three. Well, actually, I think they're going to stay at number three anyways because Florida's number four and they didn't do. They were. Yeah, they're not moving. Terrible. Texas. I mean, Texas looked all right, but they're not not enough to move up. Yeah, I just think there's going to be teams over the years that are going to. You're going to have you're going to have teams that are going to be coming out of the the Big Ten are going to be moving up as long as they don't lose games. And I think two people are going to move up and they're going to move past them because. People are going to look back at Boise State, and they're going to see, in my opinion, a three-point win over Virginia Tech, and 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 they're going to forget about that because all they're seeing now is you know fourteen to twenty-one point wins over crappy teams. Which, yeah, they're wins, but well, it all depends on what Virginia De- Tech does too. Because if Virginia Tech gets hot, like Oregon got hot, that's what a lot of people made, tried to make a case for Boise State last year was because mm-hmm. Oregon got so hot and was got to the Rose Bowl, won the. Pac-10, and people are like, well, Boise State beat them at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm going to look at, I, I believe, <laughs> I believe Boise State has New Mexico on their schedule this this year. Well, yeah, we'll see how, how big, how bad they You think they beat them 72 to nothing? <laughs> I don't know. Is there a, is there a conference? That's a I don't, conference game, ain't That's it? a conference game, and to be honest with you, I don't think Oregon could beat them again 72 to nothing. I just it, it's I mean, it's just yeah, to okay. win a game like that against a team like that you just got to have a lot of cards fall in the right spots for you. Any given Saturday, High State Miami coming up this weekend. I know that uh, I know that you've got Miami in this game. You know it's going to be a good game. I, I I just like saying I got Miami just because rile people up. Yeah, rile people up. It's kind of your shtick. I kind of I I like the U. I I can't believe I just said that, but I I like the U. After watching the ESPN thirty. It, 30 for 30. 30, 30. What I what I found out is cocky people don't like other cocky people unless they're already friends. And I think that was my whole problem with Miami. They're cocky. I'm cocky. We weren't really friends, but now we've reached. You've gotten show. to know them. We've gotten to know them through the work bit. of Billy What's His Head, who did a, a documentary. And now you're friends. Now we're friends, and I I, I like Jacory Harris. But if Terrell Pryor plays like he, like he did in Week One, given he just played against Marshall, but I think it's. It's gonna. I think it's gonna be a good game. Yeah, they actually had pretty similar week one games. Ohio State went in forty-five to seven. Miami went in forty-five to yeah. nothing. Same night too. Same night. Ohio State's only touchdown they gave up was a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. They, Ohio State, to be fair, played a better team. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Florida A and M's a subdivision. That I mean, the, they're not even. They're not even one one A. They're not even in the FBS. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think I think it's going to be a good game. I, I definitely think it's going to be a good game. I think Ohio State you got to give them the nod just because it's a home game for them, and they have one of the you know four largest home field advantages of any uh, team in the football period. I mean, there's only one NFL venue that holds that many people, and that's not even on a regular game day. It's uh, the special event seating at Dallas uh, Cowboy Stadium. Notre Dame versus Michigan this week. I think this could be a really interesting game that tells us a whole lot, or it could be a really crappy game that tells us nothing. Both teams had wins in Week 1. I don't think we know enough about the teams to determine how good they are. If anything, Michigan's win proved a little bit more than Notre Dame because Purdue's not the greatest of teams. I think Connecticut was was a, a, I'd say a, a sleeper favorite in the Big East. Yeah. Returning 16 of their starters from last year, but a team that 
came oh so close to winning games, and they just got floored. I think Denard Robinson stuck up on them a lot. Like, I don't think they had any idea what to expect with that kid. But Notre Dame won't be the same. They'll know what they're looking at. They'll they'll be well game-planned, and I think... Uh, I don't think Michigan will look as impressive as they did last week, but I think they uh, I think they come out of South Bend with a victory and hand Brian Kelly his first loss. Well how long has Brian Kelly been Dome. how long was Brian Kelly at Cincinnati for? Not very long, like three years. So it might have been right at the tail end of uh Rich Rod. So he's probably got a little bit of a taste of Rich Rod's style offense. Yeah, probably a little bit. I don't I don't know if he was there or not. I I want to say like his first year at Cincinnati was probably right around Rich Rod's last year at uh, West Virginia. Penn State Alabama should be a good one this year or this week. I shouldn't say that. I don't think that's going to be a good game at all. I think Alabama's going to fly. Alab- Alabama's going to tear floor, uh, Penn State up. You throw it out there because it's a couple of big name programs that are both top 25 teams, but uh, I think Alabama should have more than enough to win that game handily. And I think Florida State-Oklahoma could be a good game. I really didn't think it was going to be coming into this past week, but watching the way Florida State tore up Sanford and watching the way that Oklahoma did not look that great against Utah State, I think Florida might be able to go in and steal a victory over... I'm sorry, Florida State might be able to go in and steal a victory over Oklahoma next week. It's going to be interesting. I hope so. I'm not putting my money on it. In fact, if I going with an official decision, I think Oklahoma wins in a tight one. But I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State comes in and pulls off a shocker. I wouldn't be surprised either. I don't like Fisher, but... Jimbo Fisher. But they, he, he impressed me. I have, to, I have to admit, he impressed me. Yeah, it wasn't... Um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about a guy who's coming, who came up within the system, I don't think you have that, uh, that shock to the system that a new coach from outside the system brings. And I think you have a lot of chance, a lot of opportunity to, you know, kind of steer the ship a different direction, but not completely turn it around. And I think that's uh, working out well for Florida State this year. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. I think we've talked college football to death. This might as well have just been a college football on point podcast instead of a sports on point podcast. But hey, it's uh, it's what's topical this week, so we're going to talk about it. This has been the Sports on Point podcast. Thanks for listening. You can always get to us at feedback at sportsonpoint.com or you can get a hold of us at Twitter at twitter.com slash sportsonpoint. And, of course, if you want to get a message heard on the show, give us a call at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-39-76468. That's going to wrap up our show for this week. Thanks, guys, for listening. And uh, we're going to be talking more college football and, of course, the very exciting opening to the NFL season this week. So hope to hear from you in the comments and feedback and look forward to doing a great show for you again next week. See you guys. Bye.